Welcome to the Daily Dive Weekend Edition. I'm Oscar Ramirez, and every week, my producer Miranda and I explore the top stories making waves in the news, and some that are just plain interesting. We connect you with the journalists and people who know the story, and bring you news without the noise, so you can make an informed decision. You can catch a new episode of The Daily Dive every Monday through Friday, and it's ready when you wake up. On the weekend edition, we will be bringing you some of the best stories from the week. One of the biggest stories to come out of the business world was that of Amazon announcing its headquarters two and three winners. They chose to divide the next headquarters between New York's Long Island City and Arlington County's Crystal City. They're going to split a $5 billion investment across the two new offices. They're each going to have more than 25,000 employees. It's going to be crazy to see how this thing develops. There's going to be a lot more housing that's going to happen there, a lot more employees, traffic. The backlash has already started. My producer Miranda joined me to talk about this whole process, how they got started, and how Amazon came to choose these two new winners. This decision came on Tuesday after 24 months of intense jockeying, dating, maybe, if you want to consider <laughs> okay. it like that. One USA Today reporter called it a beauty pageant from the cities. There was like 230 cities that were vying to be the next potential site. They chose the two areas that have long been considered the front runners, even once the 20 finalists were announced back in January. And Amazon had a whole list of requirements, including tax incentives, business-friendly environments, public transportations, protections for same-sex workers. They had a long laundry list of demands. A lot of cities lost specifically just because the mass transit there sucked. It just yeah. wasn't up to par. And they're like, well, we can't have this. A lot of our workers use mass transit and, you know, they're not your typical commuters. One of the reasons why D.C. was chosen in amongst to being a white collar, well-educated workforce. They're also on the Eastern time zone, making it good to stay in touch with their subsidiaries across the Atlantic, saying it's easy to work with London when you're in the East Coast time zone. A lot of these cities offered up incentives to Amazon, like, please come to our city. We'll give you all sorts of tax breaks and things like that. So specifically for Crystal City right there in that D.C. area, they are incentives from Virginia, specifically $550 million in cash grants over 12 years based off of them creating 25,000 jobs with an average wage of over $150,000. They may be able to claim up to $200 million in funds based on future job creation. Incentives coming from Arlington specifically, $23 million in cash over 15 years based on the growth of the county hotel tax. So they're expecting a lot of people, a lot of business, a lot of tourism. Mm -hmm. And so these are all incentives that they got for that location. And the case for New York is probably highest on Amazon's list was, like you said, Oscar, access to tech and other talent. And the city of New York has close to 1.3 million workers in the relative fields of, you know, management, business, finance, math, PR, sales. And New York is also a magnet for young professionals. They want to live in urban areas with rich culture, art scenes, etc. And they do have a mass transit system. It's not right. always running so great, but they have <laughs> right. one. And it's a city that's large enough to add in another 25,000 people trying to work, trying to find housing. It's along the East River. They, as you said, they have the mass transit. It's close to the airports. And they've already went through kind of a residential housing boom there 
with about 16,000 new apartments since 2006. It's the fastest growing community in New York City. For them, that housing crunch maybe not going to happen as much. You know, they'll be able to supply places to live for all those 25,000 incoming and incentives that they were getting from New York State. One point five billion dollars, including 1.2 for refundable tax credits, 325 million dollars from the Empire State Development based on how much uh, space they're going to be taking over the next decade. I mean, these things set up these areas for growth, for new potential for so many years to come. But that doesn't come for free, Oscar. The backlash is already beginning against Amazon. Congresswoman-elect Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, this is going to affect her district in Queens. And she says that the neighborhood is outraged, concerned about the high cost of housing, that they're worried that with all these people moving in with their high salaries, they're going to gentrify the neighborhoods and price all these people out of their neighborhoods. That is a legitimate concern. And I know that's one of the biggest things. Also, people are making issue of all these tax incentives. They're uh -huh. saying, hey, we need to make our mass transit better. And you're giving all these people tax credits. Come on. Yeah. Well, lastly, before we end this, over 230 cities were in the running. They narrowed that list to like 20 cities at the beginning of the year. They have a lot of legitimate reasons for not picking them. One of my favorites was Chicago. They said Chicago's biggest ding is that it's in Illinois, the <laughs> state with the worst credit rating in the nation. So boom, you're out. My favorite was Newark, New Jersey. A September report found that while Newark would have been the most just choice, they ultimately decided not to because the new, greater New York area has plenty of highly educated workers, while Newark only had 13.7% of people over the age of 25 with a bachelor's degree. Oh, man. Uneducated. A lot of these cities got X'd out because of the traffic or really just the lack of any good mass transit. Last thing to note, Amazon did also say that they're opening up a new operations center in Nashville, Tennessee. So they're going to get like 5,000 employees. It's going to be crazy to see how much more Amazon expands. You know, they're moving beyond this e-commerce store, giving you all the things that you're buying online to big tech company with locations on the West Coast and the East Coast now and, and slowly taking over the world. So we'll see how they develop over the next few years. Thank you, Miranda. Thanks, Oscar. One of my favorite stories of the week revolved around a chemical so hot it destroys nerve fibers, but in a good way. We're looking for new applications to wean people off of a lot of other traditional types of painkillers. So in Morocco, there's a cactus-like plant that is so hot, it scales at 16 billion units on the Scoville scale of hotness. Its active ingredient, which is called RTX, is 10,000 times hotter than a Carolina Reaper, which is the world's hottest pepper. And scientists are using it in a new way to treat pain. It targets certain pain receptors where it would destroy some nerve fibers that sense pain, but it will leave other fibers intact so you can still have your sense of touch. You can still feel tingles. Scientists are looking at it as a possible new way to treat pain without having to use opioids. So for more on this, we spoke to Matt Simon. He's a science journalist at Wired. We started off by talking about just how hot this thing is. The hottest substance on Earth, you said 16 right. billion units on the Scoville scale is pretty much unimaginable. You, of course, wouldn't want to put this in your mouth, but it has evolved as a defense in this plant, the resin spurge, as a defense against mammals to keep it from getting chewed on. So I would not want to go down that road, no, obviously. But doctors, scientists have 
notice that this has a very unique property in that it destroys nerve endings and not in any old sensory neuron. We have a bunch of these different kinds of neurons that feel vibrations or light touch. These are specific sensory neurons for pain, uh, specifically temperature. So this molecule, resiniferatoxin, we'll just call it RTX for short now because that's much easier, binds to these neurons and actually destroys them. That sounds obviously very painful, but the idea here is that you could put somebody under anesthesia and inject this in, say, a sore knee. And this would be for very, obviously, serious medical problems. Right. It's not just if you have a sore knee after running a marathon. It's not going to be uh, your you new aspirin it. or anything like that. Yeah, right. Yeah. This is a considerably more powerful. So you're you're under for the operation and, and they inject this toxin, which destroys the nerve endings responsible for feeling pain. When you wake up, they put you on pain medication for a couple of hours, traditional pain medication that is. But, you know, after that, the pain wears off and you end up with a knee that is desensitized to pain because the actual neurons have been destroyed. And it's a fundamentally different way of working on pain than, say, opioids. The craziest things that people come up with, you know, and using this chemical to help treat pain, it could help free us from the grasp of opioids. We know that the country is going through an epidemic of this stuff with people taking these medications and abusing them. And if we could use something like this to treat the pain specifically, targeting only these pain-sensing nerve endings, you don't have to take other pills. One of the anesthesiologists that you talked to for the story said, when you put a hot pepper on your tongue and it feels like it's burning, it's not because your tongue is actually on fire. It's just activating those sensory axons that are being activated as if your tongue had been on fire. And that's what they're targeting, just those specific pain sensors. So you can use this RTX, but it won't affect your sense of touch or sense of feel in different ways. That's a really important distinction. We're not destroying all pain. This is a very targeted technique. So if you have a sore knee, it goes only in the knee, only destroys the pain in that area that leaves the rest of your body able to feel pain. Unlike opioids, which is, in the article I call it, this new technique is more of a sniper rifle than a hand grenade with opioids. You put opioids in the body and they bind to receptors all over your body. So you get side effects throughout. Of course, one of those is addiction. You can't get addicted to this RTX. It is a usually one-time treatment that lasts many months. In dog models, they're actually seeing that it killed pain for 18 months in one dog, which is pretty remarkable. And this, there's, again, there's no risk for addiction. So as I had mentioned before, this is a very serious procedure and, and this is still going through trials. So it's right. not like it's available yet. It's a very serious procedure for very serious problems. It's not like you have a sore knee and you just go in because you feel a little down. But it is a promising treatment to not get rid of opioids altogether, right. as nice as that might be. But for specific applications, this could be a very powerful way to keep doctors from having to prescribe opioids. Now, one of the things that were, was interesting in the story, you did mention that research has been done on dogs with this RTX. And so it destroys nerve fibers and, and takes away the pain, but it's not necessarily permanent, right? So they do grow back, and that is why it is a, a, a temporary pain relief. But, you know, in the grand scheme of things, it's temporary in the sense that in a dog, it lasted 18 months. Of course, dogs aren't humans, 
and there still needs to be more trials on how long this would work in human beings. But at the NIH, they're actually working on a different application here, which is not injecting specifically in the knee, but injecting into the fluid around the spinal cord, not specifically in the spinal cord because that could damage it. But when you inject this in that more central location, you actually get a more widespread elimination of the pain. And this is important for people who are suffering from things like bone cancer, where no other medication is helping them to relieve pain. So they're going through these trials right now. It'd be really interesting to see the results from that. Using this as an extremely powerful medication for end-of-life care when nothing else is working. And it gets a little trickier there because you want to be sure that you're not eliminating all pain, right? Because we have pain for a very good reason. It's an evolutionary tool to keep us from doing stupid things with our body. We need it. So there's a tricky balance here. It's, It's using this extremely powerful technique to really destroy pain at the sensory neuron level. But we have to be careful about how we do that because we want to keep these people having a sense of pain. Otherwise, it could lead to trouble. So right. it, is, it will be interesting to see in the, the coming years how these trials shake out. But it looks very promising, particularly in dog models. And as the work continues, yeah, I mean, maybe there's a possibility to dilute it somehow so that it doesn't take that much of an effect. As you said, we don't want to end pain completely. So maybe there is a possibility to dilute it. Right. It's a, it's a tool. It's, go- and it's going to be a tool and not a cure-all for the opioid crisis. But it, it could help alleviate that by, again, more specifically, targeting pain as opposed to the the hand grenade that is opioids. Matt Simon, science journalist at Wired. Thank you very much for joining us. And thank you for having me. Here's a scenario for you. Two people call a customer service at the same time to complain about the same thing. But one person waits only a few seconds before getting to a rep on the line and the other person stays on hold for quite some time. Why is there this difference? Well, there's a secret customer score that companies use to determine how valuable you are to them and how nice they should be to you, whether they're going to pick you up right away because they want your business or whether they don't care about you and they'll leave you on hold forever. It's called a customer lifetime value or a CLV score. This secret number, it's not available in any way. You can never find out your secret score by a company. It's not uh, monitored by any government agency. It's just this secret algorithm that calculates how valuable you are to a company. Uh, So my producer Miranda joined me for more on this. We talked about how companies calculate your score and all the perks you get from having a higher customer lifetime value. It all boils down to, Oscar, essentially the more profitable you are to any given company, the better service you're going to get. Your score can determine the prices you pay, the products and ads that you see, the perks you receive. Credit card companies use these scoring to decide what kind of benefits they're going to give you. If you want to call up and cancel your card, they say, no, we'll give you another year with no annual fee, that kind of thing. Yeah. And unlike credit scores, these CLVs aren't available to consumers and they aren't monitored by any government agency. So these are all internal numbers, internal ways that they score your value. 
and you'll never know. It's all in the algorithms and how they score you. And this has been going on for a long time. It's the modern version of you going into the shop and the shopkeeper sizing you up and saying, this person's going to spend a lot of money and be a return customer. And I want to do anything and everything I can to keep their business. This is just the modern version of it with all these data points that everybody uses. Explain a little bit some of these data points that they collect on you, because there's a common thing we talk about on the podcast all the time, privacy. Mm -hmm. You're a fool to think that you have any type of privacy now. You're being monitored on everything you do. There are hundreds of analytics firms, Oscar. They calculate your customer lifetime value, and they all have different ways of doing it. Some of them put value on shoppers based on what they spend, and others use data inputs like your demographic info, such as your zip codes or how many returns you make, the kinds of stores in which you shop. They score based on transaction history, and they say that all companies need to determine how customers are going to behave in the future, and they use that information to deal with you on a personal basis. They also weigh you on if you call like a customer complaint line and you complain too much. Right. You could lower your score by just by doing that. We'll get into it in a minute, but they say that specifically airlines use that. Say, Oscar, every time you fly, you get stuck in the middle seat and three times out of the last seven times you've flown, they lost your bags but you never call to complain. The next time you go to fly, you may get bumped up to first class. Whereas I call and complain if the flight attendant brings me a Sprite when I ask for a Coke, they're going to put me by the bathroom next time. <laughs> Specifically with air travel, just because you brought it up, there's certain data firms that work with them. They can draw on more than 5,000 different data points just to treat you better, give you those upgrades, that seat upgrade into first class. 5,000 different points that they're looking at. Let's look at phone service then, because I know a lot of people, you have to interact with the phone company a lot of times. How do, how do they work? So wireless carriers like Verizon and Sprint, their lifetime value determines marketing offers and other perks. So high value customers that they're concerned are going to jump from, say, Verizon to AT&T or T-Mobile. They'll get routed to the top rated call center employees. And they didn't get into specifics about how they judge the customers, but they say that they generate scores using data points like the number of times a customer has dialed the call center. This is amazing. Whether this customer has browsed a competitor's website or searched certain keywords in the past few days. So say I was sick of AT&T and I heard T-Mobile is going to give everybody unlimited data and I'm searching at T-Mobile. AT&T is going to see that. And when I call to say I'm ending my service, they're going to we'll give you a free phone. They're going to sweeten something for me. Yeah, it's called your churn score. So it's the chances that you have of switching to another carrier. The Wall Street Journal had a really fun quiz. They worked with one of these data firms. They gave them a simplified version of how companies could schedule this. So what they did, they had a theoretical clothing company. Both Miranda and I put our details in there and it was different things like your age, whether you're male or female, if you buy your clothes all at once, or if you're like a seasonal shopper and looking for deals. So Miranda, what did your score end up being? I'll go last. When I'm answering these questions, it asks you, are you a female. And I was automatically bumped up to a higher right. score because in this hypothetical model, women tend to shop there more frequently. Another question was if I was married. Yes, I am. And they say that that bumped my score up also because when you're a married woman shopping in the store, you tend to buy for your husband. You tend to buy for your kids, right. you buy for more people there. So I had a really high CLV number of $94.37. Oh, well, good for you. I was in the big spender category, which I'm sure my husband would not be happy to hear about. With that comes perks like being invited to VIP shopping events, early access to sales, and better customer service. Yeah, it said specifically that it would shoot you up to the top of the phone list mm -hmm. and you'd get handled immediately. Yep. I put mine in. Obviously, I got a lower score just because I was a guy right away. 
my score ended up being $40.26. So I was right in the middle. I wasn't a cheapskate because they had a cheapskate middle of the road and big spender, <laughs> which you were Miranda. So I was right in the middle. So anything that was a score between 30 and 60, they said that they would send me occasional discounts. What these numbers mean, my $90, Oscar's $40 is basically how much money we're going to each spend in any given visit to this store. Thanks, Miranda. Thanks, Oscar. All right, that's it for us this weekend. Be sure to check out The Daily Dive every Monday through Friday. Join us on social media at Daily Dive Pod on Twitter and Daily Dive Podcast on Facebook. Leave us a comment, give us a rating, and tell us the stories that you're interested in. Follow The Daily Dive on iHeartRadio or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. The Daily Dive is produced by Miranda Moreno and engineered by Tony Sorrentino. I'm Oscar Ramirez in Los Angeles, and this was your Daily Dive Weekend Edition.